Today we begin in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John. Oh, Children's Church. <laughs> that was my sign to leave. Children's Church, if you want to get out of here, and you know, anytime the preacher brings two Bibles, you know it's going to be a long one. So <laughs> you might want to rethink that Children's Church invitation. But John 11 begins with Jesus hearing about the illness of his friend Lazarus. We read that this is the one that Jesus, a friend that Jesus loved. The name Lazarus is a Greek translation of the Hebrew name Eleazar, which means God is my help or God is my helper. I think there's a little bit of Lazarus in all of us, or there should be. Over the next four weeks, we have time, if you will, to find out how much in common we have with Lazarus. For Jesus loved him, and Jesus loves us. He was Jesus' friend, and Jesus is our friend. And by, by believing in Jesus, we will never die. Just like Lazarus. So, to refamiliarize you, and I know many of you have heard this account of Jesus bringing his, we sang that song, I ran out of the grave. I don't think he could run because he was wrapped pretty tight. Um, what I'm going to do is something I typically don't do, but I'm going to read for you almost every verse that you'll be looking at for the next four weeks. And I'm going to read it only because last Wednesday night during our uh, refuel, J.D. Greer used the message. And the message is a contemporary version, not truly a literal from the Greek or the Hebrew, uh, that Eugene Peterson did several years ago. And I've had a copy in my office for a long time. And Actually, I think it's on my phone, my Bible app. But um, it reads a little swifter, if you will, anytime you're going to read. I had my wife time me. Like, will they go to sleep? Well, only with you reading the phone book they will, for sure. But um, this is uh, about four minutes of reading that I want you to, and I don't know, guys, I tried to update him. Dan is always so good to get me ready on the slides, but I put the message in there. We begin at verse 1. A man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils and then wiped them with her hair. I want you to know that hasn't happened yet. That was my first troubling part of the text this week as I'm reading that. That doesn't happen until chapter 12. So John is making an assertion that for us to read it in modern day times, there are Christians that he's writing to that have heard that story and he's refamiliarizing re them. She had wiped uh, his feet with her hair. It was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love so very much is sick. When Jesus got the message, he said, this sickness is not fatal. It will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's Son. Jesus loved Martha and her sister, 
often they say, right, they don't mention Mary as Martha was probably the older, so it's implied you name the oldest woman and then the sister, and Lazarus. But oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed, and that's verse 6, I think, and uh, these are not numbered verses. Oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed on where he was for two more days. After the two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. They said, Rabbi, you can't do that. The Jews are out to kill you, and you're going back? Jesus replied, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daylight doesn't stumble because there's plenty of light from the sun. Walking at night, he might very well stumble because he can't see where he's going. He said these things and then announced, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up. The disciples said, Master, if he's gone to sleep, he'll get a good rest and wake up feeling fine. Jesus was talking about death while his disciples thought he was talking about taking a nap. Then Jesus became explicit. Lazarus died. And I am glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. You're about to be given new grounds for believing. Let's go now to him. That's when Thomas, the one called the twin, said to his companions, Come along, we might as well die with him. Sadly, Thomas is often remembered for doubting, not for his really willing to follow Jesus wherever. When Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus already four days dead. Four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple of miles away. And many of the Jews were visiting Mary and Martha and Mary, sympathizing with them over their brother. Martha heard that Jesus was coming and went out to, Mary, to meet him. Mary remained in the house. Martha said, Master, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I'm sure she said it a little stronger than that. Even now I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. Jesus said, your brother will be raised up. Martha replied, I know that he'll be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now. Resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? Yes, Master. All along I have believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. After saying this, she went to her sister Mary and whispered in her ear, The teacher is here and he's asking for you. The moment she heard that, she jumped up and ran out to him. Jesus had not entered the town, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When her sympathizing Jewish friend saw Mary run off, they followed her, thinking she was on her way to the tomb to weep there. Mary came to where Jesus was waiting and fell at his feet, saying, Master, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. He said, where did you put him? Master, come and see, they said. Now Jesus wept. The Jews said, look how deeply he loved him. Others among them said, well, if he loved him so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? After all, he opened the eyes of a blind man. Then Jesus, the anger again welling up within him, arrived at the tomb. It was a simple cave in the hillside with a slab of stone laid against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. The sister of the dead man, Martha, said, Master, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead four days. 
Jesus looked her in the eye. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Then to the others, go ahead, take away the stone. They removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, I'm grateful that you have listened to me, and I know you always do listen. But on account of the crowd standing here, I've spoken so that they might believe that you sent me. Then he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, a cadaver, wrapped from head to toe and with a kerchief over his face. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him loose. That was a turnaround for many of the Jews who were with Mary. They saw what Jesus did and believed in him. But some went back to the Pharisees and told on Jesus. And I'm going to leave it there. Let's pray. Father, as we have refreshed our memory of the account of Jesus glorifying you, of you glorifying him, of you showing the world your power in your son and his authority over the grave. May these words once again bring us to life. For some of us have become dead in the faith. Waken us. Call us from the tomb. Let us come running to you. Hear this, our prayer, Lord, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So, as I said, this is part one, and I call today's message uh, the road to glory. And, of course, I thought of all kinds of movies because, you know, that's the way I think, and how can I get them to see this and think the way I think, or at least that way they can understand, as I'm trying to explain. But let me just begin by saying point one, that Jesus took a journey of love for God's glory to go see his friend Lazarus. Most of us, when we read this passage, keep asking the question, as I, why did he wait? Why did he wait? I mean, why? Well, he answered it for you, I think, in, in verse 4, didn't he? What's verse 4? Now I've gone back to NIV, so I'll be able to find the verses. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And this is not in my notes, but how many times have you wished that God would do what you wanted versus waiting for God to glorify himself in what he wants for you? Man, we, I want it my way. Is that Burger King? Haven't you? Whatever that is, I don't know. I'm getting hungry already. You know, be careful on a Sunday morning, Cliff, talking about food. I know that love is patient. I preached through 1 Corinthians 13 about two years ago. Love is patient. But Lord, my patience when I'm sick and my, my loved one is going to die, why are you tallying? Why are you delaying? Why are you waiting? Verse 6 seems to conflict in some ways with verse 3. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there when he was, two more, he was two more days. He stayed there. You get the news and you wait two days. Well, don't be so quick to judgment. Let me give you a different perspective. If you were here in church last week, we had a sermon, or I titled the sermon, The Other Side of Jordan, right? Something like that, east of, of the Jordan. 
So there's a map that you probably won't be able to see where you're setting. Guys, if you go to the next slide, yeah, you can hardly see that at all, can you? I didn't have any idea how dark that would be. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's really tough. Uh, yeah, slide that cursor to the purple above the, like, lime green. Come, yeah, come to the purple to the right. Right, that's purple too. But the, All right, up, come up, come up, come up, come up. To the right of the lake of, yeah, there you go. Very good. That's okay. Oh, and then it went away. That is the area, if you heard me talking last week, I told you I owe a lot of what I am, have been digging in, the mind, the mind of wisdom that I think I've been getting from D.A. Carson, who is a New Testament scholar. He wrote this book, the, the Gospel of John. It's his commentary. And he is the one who has argued that the Bethany that Jesus went to when he went on the other side of the Jordan was not the Bethany that was the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It makes sense because you can't see it on that map. Any of you have Bible maps in the back of your Bibles? Hopefully you brought your Bible. But if you have a Bible map, see if you can find Bethany on it. There'll be only one Bethany mentioned. And my guess is it's going to be on the west side of the Jordan. It's close to Jerusalem. John says it's only two miles. It's just a, you know, it's like not even what? How fast can you walk in an hour? Three miles an hour? It's not even an hour's walk from Jerusalem. And as I alluded to last week, why I agree with Carson, I think that if Jesus was trying to get away from those who were trying to kill him, he probably would go a little further than a 30 or 45 minute walk. The walk to that purple area is somewhere around 90 miles away. It would take you walking 25 to 30 miles a day, at least three days, perhaps four. Carson explains this delay one of the ways, and I'm not saying this is the definitive. It, I, it's how I have understood it better in my mind this week as I toiled with that delay, is that when he got the word that his friend was sick, he knew that it was going to be used for God's glory. And then you find him saying, let me find that verse somewhere, I think. Uh, verse 7, two days have gone by. Let's go back to Judea. He knows at this point, supernaturally, divine man, himself, Jesus, the Son of God, knew at that point Lazarus was dead. And that's when he says it's got to go. And potentially it took three to four days. So he's been in the grave four days. And Jewish tradition is you're typically buried by sunset. However, it could have been six days, if you will, by some commentaries, before he got there. Now, if you don't accept that, that's okay. This is not something to split hairs over. But it's a whole lot easier to think than when he took word. Because you've got to think about it. Somebody went from Bethany, if it's down there close to Jerusalem, all the way up there to where Jesus was, it took that person two or three days to get to Jesus, and it took that person two or three days to get back. And the sisters, all they know is that Jesus didn't come back with the guy who gave them the word. And they're upset. But Jesus' journey of love is a journey that many of us have taken. And now I'm thinking about the fact of him going knowing about the grief, the misery, the sorrow he's going to face when he gets there.
It was a Thursday afternoon. My uncle called me. Why I get like this? Good Lord, it's 20 years ago almost. Thursday afternoon, stationed at Edwards Air Force Base. And my uncle Dave, who lives in California, called me and said, Sam, that's my nickname, Sam got bad news. What's that? Your dad's dead. He's coming to see me tomorrow. He's leaving Illinois to drive out to see us. So we got on a plane. I try to get this shorter and keep from crying, too. We got on a plane the next morning, the family of six. Let me tell you, I was a terrible passenger. I didn't like anybody in the airport. I didn't like any stewardess. I didn't like anybody. I don't know if my wife liked me. I don't know if my kids liked me. I was so angry. Jesus, if you heard me reading the longer passage, there's some anger. He, he is frustrated. He, he, he is in pain. And some of you have faced those same journeys of love. But he goes to be by his friend, the one he loved. You know, here's an interesting side note. I told uh, the chief was in my office earlier, and I said, I often read more things than I need to on Sundays and, you know, try to decide what is important, what's not. There is one commentator that most people disagree with, but I thought it was an interesting spin. He thinks that Lazarus was actually the author of this fourth gospel. Because he refers to many times as the one he loved. That's a, it's a nice twist, but no, I think John, one of the disciples, wrote it. But I think that was an interesting takeaway. But Jesus goes to where the one who he loved, the one who personified the, the name God is my helper, to be with his friend and her, his family. Father Gregory Boyle wrote a book called Tattoos on the Heart. Um, I stumbled across it this week. He uh, was doing uh, prison ministry in Los Angeles. And this book tells the story of one time when he met, and I want to make sure I pronounce it, I'll probably mispronounce it. It's R-I-G-O, Rigo. He meets this young teenage boy named Rigo as he's getting ready to set up for a worship service. And he was in there for some kind of drug use, some kind of gang violence. He, he was in prison. Uh, where Father Greg is going to do this uh, mass. And um, he asked him, he says, do you think your father might be here because parents can come on Sundays for the worship service? He said, oh, no. He said, he's a heroin, heroin addict, and I don't have anything to do with him. And Father Greg said, at that point, the man stopped, or a young man stopped, and Rigo started telling him. He said, for whatever reason, I don't know. He said, he said Father, he said, when I was in the fourth grade, I came home from school early, and he said, my dad asked me what I was doing home. And he said, I was really disappointed my dad was there. And he said, well, I will tell you, Dad, if you don't beat me. Because he said, Father, my dad beat me all the time. And his father said, well, I'm your father. Of course I won't beat you. And he told him why he was home early. And from there, he said, Rigo looked at Greg and said, he beat me with a pipe, Father. He beat me with a pipe. And in his book, he writes it over and over. He beat me with a pipe. He beat me with a pipe. And he said he started crying so much till Father Greg just embraced him, trying to hold him, trying to comfort him, and said to him, will your mother be here? I mean, I'm thinking if I was a counselor, what would I say next? Will your mom possibly be here? And he said, he, said he, got, he immediately snapped out of it. And he goes, she's back there already sitting, waiting for the service. See that little woman? He said, she's been here every Sunday for the past year and a half since I've been here in confinement. And he says, you know what, Father? He says, she has loved me in spite of anything I've ever done. 
And Greg said, well, tell me some more about her. He goes, well, let me tell you this, Father. You know how many buses she has to take to get to this prison from our home? He said, no, I don't know. He said, seven buses. Seven different changes she has to make. Seven different bus rides she has to get on to meet me or have a glimpse of me in worship on Sunday. And Father Greg's conclusion in his book is that our Savior will take seven buses every day just to be face-to-face with you. Seven bus rides just to get a glimpse of you. Sadly, many of us won't even show up at the bus stop. You are never too sick, too lost, too dead in sin, too far away for Christ not to stop on his journey of love to you. Second, Jesus' pace. There should be an apostrophe on there for possession, but it is, I often do my spell check. Here. <laughs> Jesus' pace. Uh, once Jesus turned towards Judea, his disciples expressed concern. Look at verses 9 and 10, and that's all I was going through today. Next week we'll take up at verse 11. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by, his, by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Reminder, if you've been following along in this Gospel of John, Jesus has said to his listeners, to the people who were attacking him, I am the light of the world. Let me just look at that. I think that's chapter 8, isn't it? I have them all highlighted because I'm going through here. Chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And if you have your Bibles, go to 1 John. I think you'll find another take on that same type of thinking. 1 John, and it's going to be um, chapter 1. Oh, that's Peter. Let's go back on that way direction. All right, 1 John. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. John, in this gospel and in the epistle, contrasts light and darkness, God and Satan, good and evil. Being with Jesus is being in the light. And walking with Jesus, you will walk in the light. Now, dark days may come, but you will be in the presence of his light. Have you ever walked with a fast walker? My wife likes to walk in our neighborhood. I really don't like to walk. I really don't like to run. I really like to eat. And I like to sit on the couch. And I like to watch what I want to watch and don't talk while I'm watching. I'm sorry, that's far more family therapy than what you need. But she walks faster than I do. Sometimes it's hard to keep up. And I think Jesus' pace is a determined pace. It's not a race. Maybe you watch the 
uh, Daytona 500 last week and had to have multiple endings because they couldn't get a lap finished without having a wreck. Walking with Jesus is not a race round and around and around and around just to see where you, you know, how many times you can go and how fast you can go. Walking with Jesus is a preset course with a destination of glory. And his pace often is different than ours. How many times in the military did you hear, hurry up and wait? Man, the military's pace is different too. I mean, none of us like to wait, right? I mean, you go to the doctor's office, you got a 1030 appointment and you finally get called back. No disrespect to any of the doctors in here. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to pick on you because they're doing it as fast as they can. You know, like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, they're pulling the, the, the rods as fast as they can. But it takes, you know, somebody takes longer and the next thing you know, you've waited in the waiting room for an hour or, or longer. Traffic. And because we're Americans, restaurants. Because, you know, if you, go, if you go to Spain or you go to Germany or some of the European countries, it, 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 they prepare it and you're going to wait and you have conversation and I don't drink, but you're going to drink. And I don't, but I mean, water, I'm going to drink a lot of sodas there. You wait. You don't like waiting at the airport. Some of you can't wait till you turn 16. Some of you can't wait until they turn 18 or 21 and say adios. Can't wait till you get married. Can't wait till you get a new job, graduate, whatever. You can't wait till you retire. Can't wait till you see Jesus. I believe I've used this uh, writer, this is another priest again. He, he was a mentor to C.S. Lewis, uh, Walter Adams, Catholic priest. He wrote about this hurriedness of life that we all experience. And I, and I think churches, I know that sometimes I feel like I'm in a hurry. I'll give case in point. I was rushing out to make sure that uh, you guys would have a microphone because I knew there wasn't one here. And I, and I hate, you always hate to take somebody, especially during COVID. During COVID, we all got really concerned about that. Oh, I touched a microphone that she touched or he touched because you never know. And Lynn stopped me compassionate to ask about my mother and sister. They're not here today. My sister's got a stomach ache, so I mean, they'll be fine. But I was almost impatient with her because I got something else to do. And we get that way in our faith walk. And sometimes you miss the opportunity to share the light of Christ with somebody who perhaps was trying to share with you, or maybe they need to have a little compassion shined upon them. But Father Adams writes, We can advance along the road to perfection only by walking closely with Jesus. I would say at Jesus' pace. And as we watch his way of dealing with the countless problems and troubles that beset his life, we achieve wisdom as to how to meet our own. How many of you have ever journeymaned with a tr for a trade? You, you carry the tools, you, you carry the equipment, and you watch the master apply their skill. And someday you can do the same job because that person has taught you and you've watched them. I think that's 
kind of the imagery he's giving us, that you achieve wisdom on how to meet your own because of seeing how he walked life. And I close with this quote. He said, but to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer. And only impedes and soils our work. It never advances it. This week, I ask you, I, I beseech you to walk at Jesus' pace. And it may mean for some of you to slow down. For some of you, it may be to get off the couch, quit watching TV, and do something for him. Because there's Lazarus in all of us. Jesus loves us. Jesus is a friend that will never leave you. And that by faith in him, we will have life everlasting. Stand with me, please, we pray. Father, as we have looked once again at the beginning of this powerful story of Jesus and his love for a friend, we know that he has that same love for each one of us here. I thank you for the journey of love that he's taken to find me. And I pray that if there's someone here who's ne never welcomed Jesus into their heart, this would be the moment. Or Lord, if there's someone in us that we've hurried too much, we've, we've left Jesus behind, help us to adjust our gait, help us to adjust the cadence, help us to get in lockstep with him. Right now in this invitation time in our service, Lord, is a chance for those who need prayer to come. We have a prayer team. Some of them even have t-shirts on today saying, how can I pray for you? We want to be loving, caring extensions of the faith that we have in Jesus to others. So, Lord, if there's somebody here who needs prayer, let them come. If there's someone here who needs to accept Christ in their life because they've never done so, we pray this is the moment. For I ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.